December 1961, just about half a year after the merger of Unitarianism and Universalism, a few creative, spiritually courageous families gathered at Redwood Lodge to form a liberal religious UU fellowship in the Conejo Valley. If only we could time travel back to that moment and tell them about the fruit that those first few seeds would bear. Now, they were mainly couples with young families hoping to find a place to share their liberal views and gather together to provide an open-minded religious education for their children. Nothing like that existed in this area. So they created it, they birthed it. These early Chalice pioneers formed the Tri-Valley UU Fellowship and affiliated with the Unitarian Universalist Association in February of 1962. The fellowship grew quickly during those years. It attracted many teachers, writers, and other trailblazing people with its stimulating lectures and programs. And among those early members were Sue Rosecrans and Thelma Williams, who shared earlier. Their members were energetic, visionary, and passionate about social justice issues. And they showed true spiritual courage and vision for a better world qualities which thankfully prevail in this community to this day. Because of them, us. Now our first vice president, Judson Weller, explained it this way in the Conejo News in February, 1962. Most of the important groups of the last two centuries, which promote the welfare of mankind, have been started by or strongly supported by Unitarians and Universalists. Typical of these, he said, are the first School for the Blind, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the American Red Cross, the first prison reforms, the first free public library, the anti-slavery movement, the first public schools, the first American nursery school, and more than four dozen colleges and universities. Pretty impressive. Rapid growth followed, especially whenever civil rights issues came to the fore. We grew as we counted the John Birch Society and opposed unfair housing initiatives. And after the Watts riots in the mid-1960s, the fellowship had a brief collaboration with the Black Church in Los Angeles, and members marched in the civil rights movement. By the end of the 60s, the fellowship's anti-Vietnam activity had escalated, as you heard Sue talk about earlier. What began as writing letters to advise draft resistors grew into showing up at marches and then eventually providing sanctuary. Soon there were 50 members and 70 children and there were regular community dinners, talks and a weekly meditation group. In 1968, members decided to change the name of the community to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of the Conejo Valley and that name was filed formally on May 20th, 1970. And we still use that name today with our additional nickname Chalice, which the congregation chose in 2018. Jean and Jerry Soul, some of our earliest members, wrote the purpose of the fellowship, which you heard Thelma mention earlier, and it was read in every service for decades. It said, and join me in speaking it if you know it, the purpose of this fellowship is to foster a liberal religious community dedicated to the continuing search for truth, bound by no dogma, restricted by no creed, 
and using the democratic process. Affirming the essential dignity and worth of every human being, we join in fellowship in a quest of religious and ethical values to enrich our personal lives, to grow in understanding of ourselves and of our world, and to serve others. Because of them, us. This fellowship has always been a nurturing, loving, welcoming place, but we needed a meeting home. By August 1970, we had bought and begun renovation on a house with funds donated by the fellowship's founders. However, the frequently visiting Buddhist rabbis and Hare Krishnas posed an interesting problem. All of that joyous chanting and cymbal clashing, singing and shouting, and a killer 70s stereo system didn't really appeal to the neighbors. However, it might have been the parking situation that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So we needed to find a new home and the house sold at the end of 1974. For a while, we wandered from place to place until 1977, when the fellowship moved to Jan's house at the Arts Council and Cultural Center until 1982. And you'll see Sue Rosecrans's children in this photo over on the right-hand side. After that, we moved to the amphitheater at Cal Lutheran University before settling into Fellowship Hall at Church of the Oaks for most of the 80s. In the early 1980s, the Reagan years, Fellowship members attended an anti-nuclear protest at the White House. And you can see them here standing outside advocating for peace. The 1970s and 80s also saw an important commitment to women's issues and empowerment, as Thelma mentioned, which led to the start of the Women's Evening Group, which still meets today. And in fact, you'll see both Thelma and Sue in this picture. Again, because of them, us. Despite fluctuating numbers, the fellowship kept going because people believed in its mission and they kept showing up, even at times when there were only five or six people attending. Some years there were many families and then as the children grew up and left home, there were declines. But throughout many of our currently still engaged members like Thelma and Sue, Floyd and Mary Martin, Joanne Van Rienen, Francis Pardee, Todd and Lorella Hess, Mary Freed, Ed Lathrop and Arlene Bloom kept things going. They are our historians. And if you're curious to know more about our roots, they are the living embodiment of what this fellowship has gone through. And I'm sure they'd be happy to tell you more tales when, than we have time for today. And they kept showing up and offering their skills in leadership, in music, in worship, social action, and religious education. And I want to publicly thank you all for your enduring commitment to this fellowship. And I think they're pretty much all here today. Thank you for your vision and for your courage and your extraordinary generosity to this fellowship for so, so many years. Because of you, us, Please take that in. It's because of you that we are here today. And I also want to take a moment to thank our 30 year member, Sylvia Johnson, for her decades of documenting our fellowship's history. 
And if anyone is interested in continuing that tradition of historical documentation, we need help to record the last 10 years. So please do let me know. We would love to have a new historian to take over the mantle from Sylvia Johnson. But back to our story. After a stint at the YMCA and Old Meadows Park, 1994 marked a return to the Church of the Oaks. And this is where newer members were instrumental in getting our fellowship growing rapidly again. And that's where we also started our first choir. You'll see them here. And I believe Frances Pardee was at the piano. By the late 1990s, the fellowship moved again to the Goebel Senior Center where we had to do church in a box. And for those of you who don't know that phrase, church in a box means you go in early, you set everything up in a room and you transform it into a sanctuary as best you can. And then as soon as you're done, you remove all signs of children and the existence of church each Sunday. Kind of like when the circus comes to town, but you have to do everything in a three to four hour window and leave no trace. In 1998, with the help of the Unitarian Universalist Association, we were able to hire and subsequently call our first professional full-time minister, the Reverend Dr. Betty Stapleford. And this was a big move to go from a lay-led fellowship to a professional ministry model. But we needed help with the fellowship's growing membership and in all of its programs, and Reverend Betty brought all that and more. In the early 2000s, we provided sack lunches for the homeless. We were involved with manna and the crop walk, and we joined the United Farm Workers protest to support the picked sweet mushroom community. There you see us marching. And then we decorated bowls to feed the hungry at Thanksgiving. We held pagan services, dancing around the Maypole for Beltane. And we'll just wait for that slide to come up. There we go. And then our theater program put on plays of social import, such as the Laramie Project, Quilters, and the Vagina Monologues. We staged a fundraiser for ending atrocities in the Congo. And meanwhile, Feeding Hands offered once a month hot meals for the homeless, which continues today. Later that decade, we worked hard against Proposition 8, which banned gay marriage. We staffed phone banks, we held vigils, and initiated Interweave to support the LGBTQ community. And we also certified as a welcoming congregation, committing to affirm and celebrate the LGBTQ plus population. Because of them, us. Throughout the years, my friends, we've held special rituals, pagan festivals, study groups and classes. We've had camp outs and camping trips and run men's and women's dharma and book groups. And our community forum program brought hundreds of interesting speakers on challenging topics to the fellowship and wider community. It was started 13 years ago this week in 2008, thanks to Pamela Lopez and Matthew Wiseman. And that very same year, the fellowship was able to raise enough money to finally secure our own buildings. We bought Fellowship Hall and we rent the sanctuary for some, for, from some generous members and friends who purchased it. We finally found our home and were able to settle in one place. And our home is waiting for us as soon as the COVID pandemic is under control. Soon thereafter, in 2011, under new leadership of Reverend Laura Brandis, the fellowship's second settled minister, we adopted our mission statement. 
and you'll see that up in our sanctuary on our walls. Well, it's a little hard to read with me because it's small there, but it says we nurture spiritually courageous people who transform our world through justice and compassion. And we also developed and wrote our covenant of good relations during Reverend Laura's time here. And we continue to be guided by that as a community and live into these commitments. The Reverend Sean Neil Barron says, the history of your church is more a story of the determination of love to break forth than it is about tie-dye or chalices, sermon discussions or social justice committee meetings. So how is love increasingly breaking forth? Well, I'm glad you asked. Just in the last five years since I've been with you, we've continued to advocate and for and partner with those most in need. Between protesting the former administration's heartless and intolerant policies, to helping support a grieving community after the mass shooting in Thousand Oaks, we mustered plenty of spiritual courage. And if you recall, all of that was followed by two separate wildfires converging on our new home. In fact, the fire's edge literally came within a few hundred yards of the fellowship. And I know Chuck Fernal showed up to protect our home. As a result of the danger of an in-person gathering with just a couple days notice, we hosted our first entirely virtual worship service. Little did we know at that time that that would help us with the major transition that the pandemic, pandemic has forced upon us. Because of you, us. Undaunted and further inspired by the urgency of our mission, we followed this with the launch of our capital campaign and we received over $800,000 in pledges towards paying down our fellowship hall debt to bring about financial sustainability. Oh, and let's not forget our year-long discernment in 2018-19 around our nickname, for which the congregation chose the name Chalice. And then one year ago next week, as I mentioned earlier, we were thrown another curveball in the form of the pandemic. And we pivoted quickly to successful virtual church. And yet, despite not being able to give each other hugs or to be together in person for a year now, this community is thriving. Chalice continues to provide a healing, comforting space for people worldwide now. And we're reaching out to support our neighbors more than ever. This past year, while socially distant, we served the wider community by bringing food and supplies to families in need. Chalice supported farm workers and healthcare workers. We wrote thousands of letters and texts to ensure voting access and registration nationwide. And despite pandemic constraints, we are living our mission. We are showing spiritual courage every day together. But what does it actually mean to show spiritual courage? As I see it demonstrated by this fellowship, there are some consistent traits. First of all, the fellowship was founded on the idea that we need to live with and, sorry, lead with and live our Unitarian Universalist values. Our principles and mission inspire us to envision and work for a world fueled by love and justice and concern for all. And you've witnessed that throughout our fellowship's history. 
Next, spiritual courage calls us to question, to stay open and to keep transforming ourselves. Members who've been here a long time have learned not to get too attached to a certain way of being or doing things in this progressive fellowship. And they've rolled with changes. They've allowed for the growth and transformation that has kept us fresh and vibrant and relevant and meeting the challenging and changing needs of the evolving world around us. And they've also shown commitment through good times and bad. They've stuck by us through times when it seemed like our doors might close to thriving times, like now when we wondered how everyone was going to get inside. Because of them, us. And another spiritually courageous trait is to be generous, to be welcoming and inclusive, even when it's challenging and we can't see the future. This fellowship was started with faith and hope by a few people with limited funds, and yet it continues to flourish today with over 200 active members and many more friends and our own home because of the generous engagement and commitment of all involved. By the way, I ask please for you to forgive me if I've missed someone or something in this historical account that's really important to you. Like turning your favorite novel into a two-hour movie, it's just impossible to include everything that mattered over those 60 years in a 20-minute sermon. But know this, know that every piece that happened in this amazing tapestry has been an important contribution to all that we witness today. So thank you. Because of them, us, and for future generations, because of us, them. At a UU stewardship, UUA stewardship training that I did recently, we were taught that congregations go through natural cycles of growth and decline. And typically the cycle begins with an emerging church created by a few determined people focused on a vision and purpose. And then the emerging church transforms to a growing church as new members join. And during the growing church phase, purpose and vision are paramount and more staffing becomes absolutely necessary. And after a time of growth, churches then typically go into a consolidation phase in which there is more structure and clearer governance with a greater commitment to facilities and staff. And then if there's not a renewal of purpose and vision, a church may begin declining and head towards dying. However, Hang in there, there's a good however here. If the congregation is able to reconnect with its purpose and vision and discern issues relevant to today's population, it can move into another period of growth, a phase of renewal and evolution. And it seems to me that Chalice is currently in the consolidation phase. We're earnestly seeking to retire our mortgage on Fellowship Hall. We're transforming scarcity to sustainability in our finances and hopefully even thriving soon. We have strong structures and systems in place as well as dedicated volunteers and a great staff. I've never worked with a better overall team than the amazing staff and so many of you devoted volunteers. Together we share and evolve this ministry together we're powerfully making it through this pandemic and making a difference in our world. Friends, we're on the cusp of stepping into our next phase of growth and creativity. 
And our dream now is to touch more lives, to create a hybrid ministry available to all who want in person, but also accessible virtually to anyone worldwide. Our vision is to raise and empower the next generation of spiritually courageous kids who will one day be leading Chalice and our wider community into a bold new world. That was a major part of the impetus to birth this congregation 60 years ago, and it's never been more relevant and important than today. Excuse me while I wet my whistle. But to get to this exciting phase, to launch into our next period of growth and thriving, we need your help. In the next month alone, we're launching a new BIPOC, a Black, Indigenous and People of Color group. We're hosting a multi-congregation service next week focused on racial justice and raising money for Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. We're doing a young adult-led trash pickup next Saturday for everyone in the community to clean up their neighborhoods together. And we're holding a sleepover party for your stuffed animals, live streamed to children's homes. And we're planning to help farm workers with an Easter service food drive. By the way, adults are welcome, welcome to bring their stuffed animals too. We're doing all kinds of generous service as a community to the community. But we need your continued generosity towards Chalice to help us perpetuate and multiply these good works. In the book, The Paradox of Generosity by Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, I learned that generosity is actually empirically proven to change the giver's life for the better. Smith and Davidson's research tells us that giving money, volunteering, being relationally generous, being a generous neighbor and friends, and personally valuing the importance of being a generous person are all significantly positively correlated with, a, with greater personal happiness, with better physical health, a stronger sense of purpose in life, avoidance of symptoms of depression and a greater interest in personal growth. And they've even found that generosity leads to a longer life. So what else do we need to be persuaded to be generous? It sounds like an amazing gift to our lives. Inspired by Chalice members, this winter my family and I started a habit of making bags of food and necessities for homeless people. And we try to have a few of them in our car and hand them out whenever we see someone in need. And every time we do this, it feels so joyful inside. We just want to do more. And Chalice offers opportunity to do things like this regularly as a community, collecting and delivering goods and making food for those in need. So inspired by this book and by so many of you, my family has decided to raise our pledge to this fellowship again this year. Even though my family is going through some challenging times, we believe so strongly in the good that Chalice is doing that Michael and I are raising our pledge by 5%. Now, I know some of you are generously raising your pledges by 10% or more, and that's extraordinary. Thank you. It helps those of us who can't do as much. So many of you have continued to be extremely generous towards Chalice, even during the pandemic, and we're deeply grateful. So whatever you can do to help Chalice at this time is meaningful. 
you'll be part of making history and taking us to our next chapter that our descendants will talk about one day because of us, them. So I invite you to ask yourselves, what part do you want to play in transforming the world around you? I look at Chalice as a mutual fund for goodness, a mutual fund that grows, supporting our capacity to do good in the world. Now you may be here to find comfort, companionship and compassion, or to work collectively to bring change to the communities around us. But rest assured, giving to Chalice will touch so many lives in addition to your own. Because of you, them. Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of committed, thoughtful people can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. My beloveds, join us in being that group of committed, thoughtful people that our grandchildren will one day say with pride, you know, they really changed the world. Because of them, us. Thank you. May it be so. Amen.